All right, do we have everybody that was back there now in here? Okay, we're going to go ahead and take up, we're not going to take up offering, we will later. Um, we're going to go ahead and do communion. We were going to do it at the end, but we ended up changing it, kind of adjusting, because we have a lot of people that are going to be helping back there to get set up. So if you will, Fred and uh, Bill, come up here, um, and you guys can grab it yourself if you need help. <laughs> We've got elders to assist you with these, these uh, what? and they have rubber, look at this, plastic gloves. Look, we look official. <laughs> so if you will if you hey you guys don't argue in front of everyone no it's a, I'm glad y'all did that up here it's not distracting at all all right if you guys if you guys will start over here you guys can just walk up here and if y'all wait to to take it we're gonna all do it together but just come up and grab the elements so we'll start over here, come this way, and then we'll, after them, we'll come in the middle. You go, if you like, but you can just come straight up. Collect it and wait, yes, don't take it yet. Collect and wait. I'm going to briefly talk about this before we take, take communion, and then I'm going to not briefly talk about it after we take it <laughs> so that we can let those go back that need to go prepare for, uh, for the wedding shower. So uh, I just want to I always go through this, and I'm not going to do an exhaustive study on, on the whole idea of being worthy and unworthy and how we've mis- mixed that up. And Buddy mentioned it last week that he would be so afraid to go to church during communion because he thought he was going to be smite, smited. <laughs> that he was going to be struck down because he was unworthy. Um, you guys know my whole spiel on that. We've, we've talked about it every, almost every time we take communion. I want to make sure that it's known before we take communion together um, that, that Paul was never talking about being unworthy. We're all unworthy. That's why we need Jesus. He was talking about taking it in an unworthy manner, meaning that, and he talks about in the very beginning, the problems were that there, were division, there was division in the church, uh, people were eating before other people. They were getting drunk. They were taking advantage of other people and, and having positions. And then the solution at the end was all doing it together as a family and having communion together. And so he talks about the problem and the solution, and he gives uh, everything in, in between there to talk about that. And so that's why we take communion together like this, um, because um, even you know, as Buddy was giving announcements and everybody's laughing and talking, and just I, I love our church and and you know even Tiffany and Carolyn coming up here and joking around and different things like that. This is. This is like our living room, you know, this, this should be a place where you're comfortable, it should be a place where you know that you're loved. Um, it's one of the, the main compliments we got from the conference was from a stranger that came in here and realized that, that, that we, you know, and as much as we can, we love like Christ. And so, because we're a community, even though we don't agree on everything, we don't, we don't want to cause division and we don't want to think of others less than ourselves, we want to think them more than ourselves. Um, and so when we, <clears throat> when we take communion, we are recognizing that without Christ, we are 100% unworthy. But with him, we are very worthy. 
And so when we take communion, we recognize that, and I'm going to get a little bit deeper into this, that it's not just remembering him in the past, but recognizing that he is, he is here with us. And so when we uh, actually just talked to Buddy about this, he came up and asked me what these were for, and I explained it to him about it's similar to uh, being baptized. It's a physical representation of something that happened spiritually. And so in the same way, when we take um, the bread, and we, we recognize that it's, it's Christ's body that was broken for us and bruised for our iniquities and, uh, and broken for our transgressions, then we recognize that that is not just something that happened in the past, but is a reality to us right now. And so we take his body that was broken for us into ourselves. And in the same way, the only blood that was good enough, that was perfect enough, that was powerful enough, was Jesus' blood. And in all the ways that we were not worthy, that we were not good enough, he made us worthy and good enough and holy and righteous. And his blood did not just cover our sins, but it cast it as far as the east is from the west permanently. Our Bible tells us that the priest would stay, stand day and night offering sacrifices, trying to do what only Jesus could do. They were types and shadows of the substance. The substance is Jesus' blood, and we take this in ourselves. So, Father, we just thank you. And we receive this new covenant. This is not something we take lightly. This is not something we we just do out of... Uh, tradition or repetition, but we recognize the reality of you in our lives, Lord, that we are now heirs and co-heirs with Christ, that your blood runs through our veins, that your forgiveness is true, it's real. Lord, we thank you that even your healing hand is on us, that you, your body was broken so that by your stripes we would be healed. So Lord, we thank you that in this new covenant we have been given eternal life, that we, didn't, we no longer need to fear death or punishment. It says we approach your throne boldly. So we thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the healing that you've given us right now, today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, those that need to go can... Did I lose? There's my mic. Oh, we need to take up offering. We sure do. Uh, if you guys will stand up with me, we're going to pray and then we'll take up offering. All right. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we pray that uh, you would prompt us to give. Lord, you know the needs that we have as a church and as a body. Um, and we pray that you would meet those needs. And Lord, you have created us to be givers. And so from that place, we give today. So Holy Spirit, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. There's baskets up here, drop boxes in the back. to give all those different things
right, if you'll just stretch your hands out towards this offering, we'll pray over it. Father, we just thank you for this offering. Take it, multiply it for your glory in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Melissa just came up and said she had something to share uh, that she's been seeing in, in Scripture about, um, about communion and just wants to share that with us. So share. Hey, guys. <laughs> sorry. It'll be short and sweet. Don't um, say sorry. Let me tell you something. When God begins to reveal things to your heart, just let go. Just open yourself up to be taught, to be broken, to be healed. I've uh, been living in the Old Testament for a while, which doesn't sound very exciting. There's a lot of blood and guts there. But I have been, I have been, um, I have been in the area where they're just sacrifices being made with the Israelites in the desert. There's the absolution offering, and there's the grain offering, and there's the wave offering, and there's the this offering, and there's the that offering, and there's blood spilled every day. Every day. Blood. Laying hands on this crazy animal and slitting its throat and letting the blood run every day, guys. And God has just... God has just been dealing with my heart, and, and I've become so grateful for this because I've always known it's fantastic and it's wonderful. But let me tell you guys, in Adam, we all died. And in Christ, we are made alive. Yeah. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't, go back to the Old Testament because you'll be on your knees with gratitude. And I know we're all grateful but I've just had a new sense of deep, under, deeper understanding about the sacrifice that was made for me. And I am so incredibly grateful. I'm telling you guys, it was done every day for a long time. And now it's done. Yes. And it's finished. It's finished. So. Amen. That's good. Listen, going along with what Melissa's saying, you know, generations and generations and kings desired to have what you and I have. Like they longed for it. They wanted it. Just like I was saying in worship, you know, living, trying, trying to live up to, uh, to the law was, was very difficult to say the least. In fact, impossible. And so they had to make those sacrifices. When Christ made the sacrifice, he sat down because it was done. It was finished. And it's huge. Um, something that... Uh, I was thinking about when <clears throat> I, was, I was looking at some different scriptures about communion, not to go back to the one that I normally talk about as far as being unworthy or taking it in an unworthy manner. We've already gone through that several times. I don't think we need to continue to go over it every single time. I think most of you guys get it. And there was one scripture that I always kind of I didn't fully understand, and one word always stuck out to me. And I want to encourage you, if you ever find something like that and something sticks out to you and you can't reconcile it, look a little deeper. Like, if you if you... If you will dig a little deeper, it'll, it'll be clear. Um, when we were doing the Q&A, if you guys remember during the conference, and it was asked what there's a specific scripture um, that any of us uh, that changed our view of grace or opened our eyes to what uh, the radical grace of God was, I, I tried, I racked my brain to try to think of one, one specific one, but as the other two speakers answered, I, I realized that it wasn't just one, it was several. There were all these holes. Um, there were all these gaps in scripture and all these all these scriptures in the in context that I couldn't reconcile because I was mixing law and grace together. So there were all these little gaps that I couldn't quite 
understand why it didn't work, and it was because I was trying to mix covenants, because that's what I was taught. And so <clears throat> all of those things, if you will look deep enough, and if you, if you care to really study those, they'll, they'll, you'll, find, you'll find the answer. And so this was one of those things, and it was remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. And it always bothered me because I was thinking, well, are we just remembering Christ as though he's in the past? What, how does this affect us now? Are we, is this something that we need to continue doing? Is it something that we don't? Is it just a, a ritual? Or is, and there's a lot more to it than that. But the, the main thing was from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 25. It says, do this in remembrance of me. And it goes along with communion. And sure enough, when I looked up the Greek, the word uh, remembrance is Anna. I'll probably mispronounce this, but bear with me. Anna Mimnisco. Anna Mimnisco. That's fun to say. Anna Mimnisco. So Anna means... Uh, completing a process. It's the first part of the word, okay? It's a two-part word. Anna means completing the process, and the second part, memnisco, means turn the mind towards. Okay, so completing a process, just like we were just talking about, Christ completed this thing for us, right? And the second part is turning our mind towards that. Does that make sense? And it goes on to say properly to recollect by going through a process, i.e., to journey where the remembrance leads or extends to. That's the definition of remembrance there in the Greek. So what it's saying is there's a process that's been completed. Not only do we recognize that that process is completed, but we turn our minds toward that process. What's that sound like? Renewing our minds, right? It's the same thing. It makes so much sense when you break it down and actually see what he's talking about here. When we do this in remembrance of Christ, it's not just the traditional sense that we say, okay, we're going to look in the past of what Christ did back then, although he did, but it fast-forwards all the way to us now, and we set our minds on that reality right now. We set our minds when we take the bread and we drink the juice. We're recognizing that it's not something that we just do outwardly, but it's something that's inside of us. It's something that we take inwardly, and from that place inside, it works its way out, not the other way around. So when Christ gives us this truth, this reality, this forgiveness, this righteousness that we don't deserve, now it's in us. Now we... We don't just study it as though it's something that we need to mimic because that's what religion does. We recognize it to be our new reality and we set our minds on what's already happened in our hearts. Does that make sense? So when we say we do it in remembrance, it's that word right there, meaning the process has been completed with Jesus' finished work on the cross and we are turning our minds towards that. All right. I want to talk about, uh, this is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 um, and as most of us would be, especially hungry. Have you ever been real hungry? <laughs> like real, real hungry? Like hangry? Hungry? Um, you will be in a minute if not, but <laughs> uh, if, if you get really hungry and someone feeds you and you recognize that person took, you know, five loaves and two fish and multiplied them to feed everyone, you're probably going to kind of follow that dude around, right? So Jesus is walking around. These people are following him. He's just fed the 5,000. It, it goes on to when Jesus is speaking to them. He says, I am the bread, and he'll tell us later exactly where he is. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in John 6, 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. He's speaking of the Old Covenant now. There's going to be a lot of times where I'll pause and I'll, I'll kind of separate the Old Covenant, which was more types and shadows, and the New Covenant, which is substance in Jesus. So verse 49, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, which is the Old Covenant, and they died. Verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. There's a key word in there when he says anyone. Remember that. Verse 51, I am the living bread. That came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, <clears throat> they focus kind of just on the Jews there. You have to remember who he's talking to. 
he's got his disciples there too, and so there's Jews and Gentiles. There's a lot of Jews, though, where he's talking to because of the area that he's in, and it says where he's in in a minute. So the Jews begin to argue sharply because they're stuck in an old covenant, and they're stuck in an old covenant mindset. They've not... They're, Jesus is trying to bridge these two gaps and help them come from one place to another, and many of them are not willing to let go of the Old Covenant. So they're stuck in an Old Covenant mindset, he's saying. Um, the Jews begin to ar- argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're thinking physically. It doesn't make any sense to them. Which, by the way, is the least kosher thing you could possibly do by Levitical law. This <laughs> is touch dead flesh and blood. Okay. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless... You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Like, he goes right to it. Like, Jesus doesn't play around. He's like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, ah, okay, we're not not okay with this. This is very radical talk, especially if we're looking at it physically. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks, like, he doesn't let up. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, stop there. These guys were probably physically hungry. Jesus just got finished feeding a ton of people from this place. So I I truly believe a lot of them are still thinking very physically, and he kind of goes to to allude to that too in a minute. And he he keeps trying to bring them to more of a spiritual outlook on this thing and a new covenant uh, outlook on it. Verse 56, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the... Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one that feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Now he says this again. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So he's teaching in the synagogue. He's he's given kind of a time and place here when he's talking about this. So you've got a lot of Jews that were upset about him talking about anyone would be a problem. Because they're God's chosen people, and we shouldn't be letting these Gentiles in. We are God's chosen people. We have a history. We have a heritage. We have some, some merit, some grounds to stand on. These guys have nothing. So that's one problem. The other problem is he's basically continuing to push this, this point that he is like God or equivalent to God, and that doesn't go over well. Um, verse 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, we transition not just the Jews that are listening, but his disciples. These are people that have been following. It says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Now, stop there. Do not believe what? What don't they believe? They don't believe in Jesus. They've not, they've not fully committed to the truth that is Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has come to take away the sins of the world. They have not believed. They're still believing in an old system. Verse 66 says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus turns and says, You guys don't want to leave too, do you? And he's asking his 12, the, his, his main core there. And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The, the dramatic difference, the others would not believe, and they say, no, we 100% believe and we know that you are the Son of God. If you go on to see when um, Jesus is talking to Peter later on, and he's asking him about these things and, and 
he's saying, look, this is the rock that I'm going to build my church on. That right there is what Peter got that a lot of the, others, the, the other disciples didn't get was that Jesus, he was fully convinced that Jesus was the Son of God without a doubt and that he was there. And that's the foundation with which the new church is supposed to be built on. Built on. So why, why did people leave offended? Most of the people were Jews and they'd already, they already were in a covenant with Moses, right? They already had a covenant. You can't be a part of two covenants. So they would have had to let go of this covenant that they've known their whole lives and grab onto a brand new one. That's a big deal. That's a big, a big gap to fill, to say, okay, everything that I've ever believed and everything, this is why I talk to a lot of people, especially young people that come to me that like to debate a lot and, um, and want to, to really go out there and prove more apologetics, you know, that, that you know, kind of want to fight a little bit, and which is, you know, young people like to, to get a little riled up. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But I'm always, I always encourage patience because most of the time, if not all the time, you're, you're asking someone similar to this to give up everything that they've ever known and grab onto something that they're not 100% sure about. And that takes time. That doesn't happen instantly. You know, that takes time to actually get to know exactly what's going on and what they're grabbing onto. These guys were the same way. We're not sure about this, Jesus. We're not 100% sure. We know Moses. We know manna. We know the old covenant. We know the system. It worked. We think everything's good here. Jesus is fulfilling all these things right in front of them. They're stuck in types and shadows, and Jesus is right in front of them, the substance, and they don't get it. They don't see it. Not only that, they were very, they had a bunch of, of pride because they did feel like they were better than other people, and that other people didn't deserve the, the poor, the sick, the Gentiles, the people that were outside of what they considered to be, um, well, which were actually outside of God's original covenant with the, with the Israelites. So, so they were very offended. For Jesus to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was inviting them into a new covenant, another covenant. Not only that, Jesus was inviting Gentiles in this new covenant, and he was claiming to be God. This is what got Jesus killed. This is what got him crucified. This is what pushed, pushed them to really put him on a cross is because he was saying he was equivalent to God, and he was inviting them into something that was brand new and that was different than they, that they had seen before. The thing that we when, we, when we talk about communion and we talk about doing this, we're not just doing this out of, uh, out of routine or out of a ritual or something like that. We're actually recognizing that we are a part of a new covenant, that we are partaking in this covenant, that we, we believe, <laughs> that we accept, that we know that this is true, that when we, when we take communion, we say that there is no other way but Jesus. There's no other healing but Jesus. There's no other covenant but Jesus. There's no... Any, there's nothing except for Jesus. We are saying that we 100% agree and have faith that Jesus is the only way. When we talk about taking his flesh and drinking his blood, we're not talking about physically, we're talking about spiritually. And so when we take this, this, this manifestation of the spirit right in front of us, this uh, physical representation of what's happened inside of us, and we do this on a regular basis, when we say it's in remembrance, it's not just a memory from a long time ago, it's recognizing that it's real now, that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the only way. And that was not just a big deal back then, but it's a big deal to you and I now. When we do it as a community, we're recognizing that it's not just me individually, but it's us together. That just because, <clears throat> this is one of my pet peeves too, just because we may disagree on some things, we don't hate each other. Just because we have differences of opinions doesn't mean that we don't love, right? This is a huge deal when we enter into a new covenant that's, that's built on grace and not on law. So the big transition from... Uh, some kind of merit system or a sacrificial system that was based on what we did is when Jesus stepped on the scene, he took this for us 
And so essentially, he kind of shook his own hand in this covenant and said, I'll take care of this for you. And now you get the free gift. So when we, when we accept and we agree that Jesus is the only way, this is why we take communion. This is the new covenant. This is part of what we do. In the old covenant, they had blessings and cursings, right? They were either blessed or cursed. They went through the cycle. God was pleased with them. They'd screw up. God was not pleased with them. They would repent. They would do right. They were good. God was pleased with them. They'd make a calf or whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever it was, it was just a vicious cycle, right? When Jesus came on the scene, he stopped it. Boom. No more cycle. No more vicious cycle. This is what religion does to you and I. If we try to get back on this old covenant train of do good, get good, do bad, get bad, it, don't, it doesn't work in the new covenant with grace. It's illogical. <laughs> it's scandalous. It doesn't make any sense. This is why they were so ticked when Jesus would sit down with sinners and tax collectors, which I don't know why we need to separate those. I think we both, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when he would sit down with sinners and tax collectors and in different places, they would get upset because they're like, these people aren't good. But what Jesus was saying, this is why they were so upset. Jesus was saying, I know, but I have the power to make them good. Jesus sat down with sinners, and this is why they were really upset. It wasn't just that he was sitting with sinners, but he was saying, not only do I sit and eat with them, meaning that I'm okay with them, but I'm going to make a way that they can be okay with God. I'm going to reconcile them to God. That's why they scream blasphemy. You are saying you're equivalent to God. They were not crazy about that idea. Listen, when, when, a, new, when a new covenant comes in like that and it's, it's based all on Jesus and you don't accept it, that's why one of those other fears, you know, we all, when I first started going to church, there were these little pockets of weird, crazy fear things that would drop in. Uh, communion was one of them. The other one was the unpardonable sin or the unforgiven, unforgivable sin. What do, what do y'all know what that is? What? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You know what I thought that was? Saying a, a specific cuss word that started with a G and ended with damnation. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, I would say it, but I don't know if anybody. So basically, I thought that just saying that, I would go to hell. I mean, that was my understanding of it. When ultimately all it means is if you don't receive this gift, you got nothing else. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it's saying. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit means you don't accept this free gift that God gives you, and the only alternative is hell. It's a really dumb alternative. I don't know why you wouldn't accept it. It's free. But that's all that's saying. It's not saying if you say a cuss word, you're going to hell. Or it's not even saying if you said something against it, because that's a totally different sermon. I don't want to go down too far down that road. All I'm saying is these, these fears that were planted by man-made religion are in Scripture. They were taken out of context and then placed on us as a, a bit of a, I think mostly inadvertently, I don't think most people that were doing this were doing it maliciously, but at the same time put us under a covenant that we were never invited to to begin with. Put us under a law that we could never keep, that the greatest could never keep, and we certainly couldn't keep. And we started getting in this cycle that we were never invited into of doing good, getting good, doing bad, getting bad, blessings and cursings. We know now that in Christ are all blessings. We are blessed in everything in Christ. We know that in the new covenant, it's just yes and amen. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical, but it is what he gave us. He gave us generational blessings. There are no more generational curses if you're in Christ. It was another one of those fear things I was scared. I thought because my dad was bad or did drugs and, and you know was an alcoholic and abusive and all these things, I thought that I've got to fight this the rest of my life. There's going to be something in the back, you know, in the back of my head that's going to prompt me or I'm going to fail at some point because that's what I've inherited. But when I recognize that because of Christ, because I've been born again into his family, I don't have to worry about generational curses. I've got just genera- generational, 
blessings now. And so do you. You don't have to think twice about everything. Even if you had the best, hopefully you had a great father figure. But even if you had the best or worst father figure, you've got the best father in, the, in your heavenly father. And you've got nothing but generational blessings. When, now when fear creeps up and, and some kind of temptation that I think would follow along those lines, I go straight back to that. God, what do you say about this? And he says, blessed. He says, yes. He says, amen. And now we carry that same thing to, to give out to other people. We get to say that to other people. We get to give people unmerited favor. We get to give people um, unconditional love because we're not giving it of ourselves. We're receiving it from the Father and giving it to them. So we're in agreement when we enter into this covenant that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient and we receive it by faith in him. Listen, when we, when we took the bread and we broke it, it represented Christ's body that was broken for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. We took it inside our body to demonstrate that Christ lives in us today. When we took the cup and drank it, it represented the blood that was poured out on our behalf, the blood that was perfect and powerful enough to take away our sin. Let that sink in for a minute. We say these things a lot in church circles. Blood, flesh, forgiveness of sins. Um, but really think about what that means to you personally. Think about what God has done in your life individually. I know for me, it wasn't just that I was on a, a path of disobedience or rebellion or ignorance or whatever it was, although those, those things were true, but ultimately... I was living an unfulfilled life. Like today, not like when I die and go somewhere. Like currently, I was living an unfulfilled life. I wanted something. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted something. But there was this gaping hole inside of me that could not be filled with anything. And I tried to fill it with lots of things, lots of things that the world would call good. But until I found Christ, did I, did I find real life? Did I find real fulfillment? So when we, when we take these things as a, as a representation of that, I pray that it is very meaningful to you, that you recognize that when you take them, you were, you were agreeing with what Christ has done, and you were now worthy. And if you've been born again, you were a son, you were a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen, if, you, if, you've, ever, if you've ever felt, um, I don't want to put this, kind of like the song says, if you've ever felt like you just didn't measure up, that song speaks volumes to me, I don't know about you, but if you ever felt like you, you didn't measure up, whether it was out in the world or even in, in the church, caught up in religion, if you ever felt like you, you hadn't measured up, it's the very thing that Christ died for so that you could recognize that you do because he loved you enough to do that. And it's not out of guilt or shame, but it's just out of thanksgiving, and it's refreshing to know that you have a loving father that cares for you. Andrew, do you have um, Yeah, uh I was just remembering in, in Revelation 12, it said they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word the of word their of testimony. testimony. And, and I remember in the Hebrew culture, they had various, um, 
various feasts, various, I wouldn't say celebrations, but remembrances, like, for example, Passover. Passover it also featured the blood where they remembered their passing out of Egypt and they mm -hmm. were delivered from the death angel that night. And so, in a sense, these are like physical testimonies. When you, when you share the Lord's Supper, you're, you're physically taking part of a memory and calling to mind and strengthening ourselves and calling again, remembering the deliverance that they had in, for example, Passover or the salvation that we have in the Lord's table. Uh, I remember during the early phases of this whole COVID thing that as we were praying for our country and, and praying for, you know, the state of ourselves and, you know, there, there were several times in our home where we just, we just took communion, not because we were in church, we were doing some magical ceremony, but I felt like God was drawing us to just remember in this time of chaos, remember the anchor that our salvation is. And so, I mean, we, you know, if we had grape juice or Triscuits or I don't care if it's Coca-Cola and Oreo cookies, but for us to remember physically, it's good to just physically remember mm -hmm. that, yes, God, you really did this. Jesus, you really sacrificed like this. And yeah. it's, it's a testimony and we overcome by it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take that a step further too. I want to encourage you to not you don't just have to take communion here. Unfortunately, I think over the years we've made this into something as though you don't need a you don't need a communion leader. I don't have to be here for you to take communion, right? So you we take communion as a as a community, which is good, but also as your family. And I think it's it's uh, pretty evident when he says as often as you do this. So I think they were doing it pretty often. So you can take communion at mealtime. You can take communion anytime. You know you don't need me to do it or another pastor to do it. I think, unfortunately, over the years, a lot of churches have taken this more as a control thing, and it's not that at all. Um, man, I, I, God, I hate that. I hate that that has turned into something like that, that it is it has hurt and oppressed more people than it has brought closer to God. That is not God's heart. And if there's anything, I don't mind speaking against that. It's not God's heart that, that we create any separation between him and man. He did <laughs> literally everything in his power to, to do the opposite, bringing us closer to him and Jesus. So when we, when we take communion, it's not about me or a pastor or a priest or anything like that. It's about you and God, and it's about recognizing that we care for others. Briefly going back to this, and I'll wrap up, going back to uh, taking an unworthy manner, that was the main thing, that was the main beef that Paul had with the Corinthians was you guys are taking an unworthy manner because you're not caring for your brothers and sisters. You guys are coming in, taking the best seats, eating all the food, getting drunk, and people are starving, going hungry and dying, and you don't care about that. That's the problem. There's division among you. Listen, communion should bring us closer together, not separate us. Not just us, but us and God. Communion should bring you closer. I didn't even know closed communion was a thing until I started studying it several years ago when we started doing more communion here and understanding what that looked like. How dare us even ever close communion to anybody? And it just blows my mind. Everyone, everyone needs Christ. And if if you've not received Christ and you just ate a cracker and drank grape juice, why is, it, why is it up to us to hold that over somebody's head? That's ridiculous. So I want to encourage you, as you, as you recognize this, even going through the word remembrance in the Greek, knowing that the, the finished work is done, that, the, that the, what needed to be done was done, and we have faith that, that that work is finished. He didn't say it's kind of finished. He didn't say it's finished, but you guys have to do this. He said it's finished, it's done. I made the sacrifice. I chose to forget your sins. I chose to. And I chose to do it in this way. So from that place, I want to encourage you to remind yourself of that every day. Set your mind on the forgiveness of sins, that you are forgiven, that you are loved. And then from that place, give it to everybody that you come in contact with. Freely, because you got it just as free. Um, stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys.
and, and y'all hang out a little bit if y'all want to. Uh, we're going to have Daniel. Y'all cool coming back up, Daniel Lorne? We'll have Daniel Lorne up here after we pray. If you guys need extra, <laughs> extra prayer, if you guys need something specific, these guys uh, want to pray for you, and I want to tell you, we're going to do this um, until they d- decide the Lord doesn't want them to do it. Uh, these guys came to me and said, we feel led to pray, and that's the best ministry a pastor could ever help is one that I'm not trying to orchestrate, but that someone has in their heart that they want to do. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a prayer um, and you want to get prayed for, these guys, I totally trust them, and they will pray for you, and it will be good, and I want to encourage you to do so. So, Father, we just we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that as we took communion today, we recognize that it's not all about me, it's not all about us, but it's about our brothers and sisters. It's about the body of Christ that, that we care for. Um, and not only that, it's about reaching out to those that are not part of the body so that we can bring them in so that they can know you. Lord, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, so help us to deliver that in the most practical ways possible every day in our lives. Lord, church is not just in this building. It's not just us gathered today, although I appreciate it and I love it. Lord, it's when we walk out of those doors and we, and we reach a world that's looking for you. <sighs> Lord, there's lots of division. There's lots of division. We pray that uh, you put us in positions and places that we can bring reconciliation, not division. In Jesus' name, amen.